just a smidgen of uh, a well-known uh, singer, Olivia Newton-John, and a well-known song, Let's Get Physical. This is Exercise Right Week. Exercise right? Yes, that means that the way we exercise might change during our lives, and what's okay when you're 20 isn't so good when you're 70. Rita Reelick talked with specialist physiotherapist Libby Oldfield about what exercise means and what we should be doing about it, allowing for age and climate. And keep listening to find out about that 10,000 steps recommendation. I'm talking to Libby Oldfield, who's a specialist physiotherapist. You're one of 10 specialists in the country, I believe. You specialise in men's, women's and pelvic health. Is that correct? That is indeed correct, Rita. Mm. And I've known you for a long time and you've always talked about the virtues of exercise. What do, you, what do we mean when we talk about exercise? <laughs> well, exercise is a very broad church. So basically it's movement. And one of the things that is different about our society now is way back in the distant past, we used to move. We used to hunt and gather and Obviously, we don't want to go back to that stage for all the disadvantages that had, but we've also stopped moving. And so exercise can be anything. It can be uh, a walk. It can be just moving regularly, getting up from your desk and, and doing, you know, walking to the kitchen and back or to the coffee machine and back. It can be seriously going to the gym. It can be doing a class. It can be swimming. It can be skydiving. Exercise needs to be appropriate for for you and I think most importantly you have to like what you're doing it's no good me for instance telling you that I think you should swim when all you're thinking about is oh I've got to get undressed and I've got to do my hair afterwards and well if you don't do it you if you don't like doing it you won't keep doing it that is exactly right so it is about it is about experimenting but I also think our national guidelines say that to be really healthy we need to do 150 minutes a week of moderate exercise so that actually means getting a bit huffed and puffed but for, for a lot of us that can sound really daunting so I think the best thing is to just get started and you can build from there uh, for people who've been non-exercising and non-moving, what would you suggest? Just do start with a bit of walk. Absolutely, start with walk. People often, you know, put that word "just" in front of walk, but yeah. walking is exercise. And again, it depends on how old you are and what your physical capabilities are. But walking is lovely. Um, one of my favourite things is that if you think about it, we never come home from a walk in a bad mood. So that what happens is that we push a magic button in our brain that makes us produce our feel-good hormones, our endorphins, and that is actually dose-dependent. So if you go for a little walk, you get little amount of endorphins, but if you go for a big walk, you get more. And, of course, if you run a triathlon or something like that, you get heaps. You're high on your endorphins. Yes, you are entirely high on your endorphins. What about stretching? Do you recommend stretching? Absolutely. Um, stretching is really important because sadly, and I agree entirely with this, there's no one form of exercise that does everything. So we need huff and puff exercise, which we call cardio exercise. We need strength training. And particularly as we start to age, that becomes as important as the cardio training. So strength training is lifting 
quite heavy weights, but again, not not without supervision. Carrying your own shopping. Yes, carrying your own <laughs> shopping, absolutely. Stretching is about flexibility. So um, that's about making sure that um, our muscles move as far as they were designed to move. Um, and that's probably a bit different from when you're 20 to when you're 60, for instance. But one of the things we do know with stretching is that it's important to do it at the end of things, not at the start. So um, you'll notice when you look at sporting teams, they do a lot of warming up and they practice. If you watch a footy team warming up, you'll see them practicing all the moves they're going to make. They practice marking, they practice kicking, they practice running and swerving. Um, and that's warming their bodies up and making sure the muscles are working at their best. But then at the end, when they finish their game, they'll go into their rooms and they'll do a bit of a slow move to warm down and then they will stretch. Okay, so perhaps if you've gone for a long walk, uh, at the end of the walk, do a stretch. Absolutely. Calf stretches then, uh, also perhaps those hamstring stretches, maybe just sliding your hands down the front of your legs to see how far away from your toes you finish up. I often, when I'm walking towards the end of a walk, will find a fence Absolutely. And just lean against it at about 45 degrees, so I'm stretching my calves. Absolutely. Calf stretches are really important because they do tighten up, and if they tighten up, the thing that that affects is our ability to lift our toes out of the way each time we take a step. So keeping our calves nice and supple makes that. It, it makes our body sound like a like very complex bits of machinery. Hugely complex and very, very, very finely tuned, as you will know. If you do something slightly different, you might know about it tomorrow. Yeah. Now, we our, our program looks a lot about travelling and travel destinations. Are there different exercises or different ways of keeping fit in different climates? Yes. Uh, well, the first thing about travel is that it is fun and it's different to home. So I always think it's a good idea not to actually hope to replicate what you do at home. I think most of us would agree that we probably walk a lot more if we're traveling. So that's good exercise. We also probably do a lot more sitting. We do sitting on long flights because we live in Australia and to go anywhere. Mm. So moving regularly on an aeroplane, for instance, is critical and you'll notice that the airlines have, have worked that out as well. But every time you get up to go to the toilet, you can do calf stretches against the bulkhead. Uh, I have a favourite roll-down exercise that I do where I use the bulkhead to lean against and I roll forwards. Then when you're actually travelling, you've always got a floor or a bed and you can do some simple bridging exercises or, again, these roll-down exercises plus your calf stretches. So, again, it's just regular moving. Moving. Even on that proposed flight from Melbourne to yes, London, yes. That, than which I can't think of anything worse no. than being... They are talking about having a wellness zone on that, though. So um, I, I think that flight is not going to be for people like me who travel economy, but it, it's going to have a separate area, I think, okay. where you will be able to lie down and stretch and do some more exercise-based things. Which is, in a funny way, a duty of care from the airline. Hugely a duty of care because in that they don't actually want people sitting still for that long. And it is easy to to be tempted to sit on a plane because it's a bit of an effort getting out of your seat and 
you know, it's and just... you've got things to watch and books to read. Read, and yes, and yes. And it's a moment of calm, isn't it? That's Which right. Is useful. So I, I'm heading north to Darwin soon. Walking in 30-whatever degrees is trickier than yes. walking in You're quite right. Degrees. You're quite right. So what about walking... In, in Darwin? Yeah. I do know Darwin very well, so I know what that's like. Um, the first thing to think about is making sure you're well hydrated. In those tropical climates, um, although Darwin in the dry season is not quite so humid, is you lose a lot of fluid via your skin, so you sweat a lot. Even if you're not aware that you're sweating, if you touch your skin when you're in a place like that, it'll feel damp. And so making sure that you drink a lot more than you usually drink. And the easiest way to test that is to look at the colour of your wee. Um, it should be very, very pale. So when you've been to the toilet and it looks a bit less than pale, you might think, oh, I need to go and get another drink. Then in, in terms of exercise, doing it um, at either end of the day is better because even though the temperature is fairly stable throughout the day, it is slightly, slightly, slightly cooler. And the sun's not up. And the sun's not up, exactly. And, of course, being that close to the equator, the sun's pretty predictable. It's sort of a six-to-six six type yeah. event. Uh, so doing it in smaller amounts or doing your, your exercises in an air-conditioned room make a difference. So I think the big thing about that sort of climate is understanding that it is different to what you're used to. It ta- we, our bodies do acclimatise, but not usually in the length of a holiday time. Oh, so if you move in country, you're yes. fine. If you're going to live in Darwin, you'll actually think next dry season is a lot colder than this one, and that's because you've got used to it. Oh, really? Yeah. And I suppose the same sorts of things apply if you're moving to an entirely different climate. If, for instance, you go from Australian summer to a European winter. Mm. Well, again, the difficulty is that you're wearing a lot of layers that you're not used to either. So moving is actually slightly more challenging because your brain, one of our brain's big jobs is to make everything we do economical. So it, it, it thinks, well, we have to walk. How am I going to put all those little bits together to make it efficient so that we don't have to, for instance, keep thinking, I've got to put my right foot forward, then my left foot, then my right foot. So so we call those motor pathways and it's a bit like imagining your brain is a computer with a desktop and so you have the shortcuts on the desktop that say walk or stand up or whatever. But when you're using that desktop in a country that they say in Europe in the winter, your desktop's saying, you know, you can move your foot this far but then you go to do that with all your clothes on and you think, oh, that's – so you're, you you do manage it but your brain is slightly out of kilter. So you have to work a bit hard. You have to do it more consciously. Just like, yes. And you also need to remember the reverse from being in Darwin, if you like, that your muscles are going to take a bit more time to warm up, that they're, they're going to be cold and you won't be, you won't be as quick at doing the things you normally do as efficiently. You will get there because your brain's also very clever at adapting. Yes. Now, one more question. Everyone keeps talking about do 10,000 steps. Is there any validity to that? No. No, that was originally a Nike American advertising campaign. Um, They plucked 10,000 out of the air. So the, the real figure's thought to be round about eight, but... 
we actually do about 2,000 a day if we do nothing, like we're just in our normal walking and things like that. So so if 10,000 steps is, is a useful goal for you and that makes you go for that little extra walk, uh, it, that it, it doesn't hurt. No, yeah. and for instance, all the the devices that we now have that measure our steps um, have another effect on our brain as well. You can look at that at, say, 6 o'clock at night and think, oh, I've only got a 1,000 more steps to do. Uh, and that will make you go for an extra little walk around the block or something like that. So in that sense, um, having a target is really, really useful. But there's nothing magic about 10,000. Okay, so the, the simple message about exercise is keep moving. Absolutely. And keep all of you moving. Absolutely. Libby Holfield, thank you very much. That was Rita Ehrlich in conversation with physiotherapist Libby Oldfield.